Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our new series this month with our Keeping It Real discussion. So what we want to focus on this year is, uh, or this series, is we want to focus on what matters right now in the world of HR best practices. And today we're going to talk about the role of a great talent strategy on organizational success. And obviously I have Michelle Elder here, my business partner, but we also have a special guest with you today. And we're gonna have a number of special guests this month to talk about HR best practices. And um, starting off this series, we have AJ Vollmuller, president and owner of Future Force Staff and Career Services. So welcome, AJ. Thank you. It's great to be here. And you got the last name right. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are excited to have you. We have so much to talk about. You know, there's a lot going on, AJ, with this pandemic. And, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about over, gosh, the last several months on our podcast is truly how businesses are struggling in identifying their business needs, their business strategies and priority. But also from a people perspective, there's a lot that goes into strategizing and preparing. And I know a lot of businesses very rapidly took uh, a hit in March globally. When you take a look at global organizations, um, yeah, it was about mid-March that it began hitting each and every country throughout the world. And businesses had to quickly adapt and make adjustments. And it was just something that, you know, we've seen in the organizations we partner with, uh, our clients coming to us and talking with us about, gosh, what do we do as a short term? Because when we went into this pandemic, at least from the U.S. perspective, we were like, okay, we just have to stay home for two weeks. And April 1st, we're all going to be free again. And that hasn't been the case. We are now months and months into this and businesses are still... Um, struggling. And we see second, third, gosh, Tokyo has a fourth wave of the pandemic going on right now. Fourth wave, I didn't even think that was possible because I don't even think some places have gotten out of their first wave. And so a business going into a fourth wave has got to be a struggle from a staffing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was doing great with my staffing clients. I focus on small and medium businesses only where culture comes into play. It's not just the skill sets on paper. And you know, a lot of them don't have internal teams. They're using strictly outside resources for their staffing. And pretty much I woke up one morning and overnight, everybody had stopped hiring. I was just stopped dead in the water. And I I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know if businesses were going to kind of regroup and reformulate, if people were going to start just hiring on their own and not using agencies anymore. Because for remote employees, you're going to have an abundance of candidates from all over the nation. It doesn't matter where they sit. You know, it's not like the little business in Des Moines, Iowa, that only has a very small, limited talent pool for what they're looking for. They have the whole nation now at their fingertips for applicants. So I was pretty nervous, not knowing what was going to go on, went into more of a consultant mode with my clients, reached out to them, find out not only obviously what was scaring them, but what problems did they see moving forward? And every client had the same answer. They can interview virtually, they can offer, make the offer virtually, but they cannot onboard virtually. Nobody had training programs or anything like that to do virtual onboarding. And that was where everything stopped. I had a couple clients say, okay, we're going to test it out. 
and they made, you know, went through the hot process and made one higher. And they realized that going through the process in such an unknown way now really sets a bad standard for the company because that's the first introduction a client or a candidate has to the company is the interview process. And if the interview process is a mess, they're going to assume that's how the company is internally, an absolute mess. So to me, as a recruiter, I want my clients to have the best interview process as possible to make it a good representation of myself and the company. Um, I've had candidates decline a job before because they said, you know what, this process was just a mess and I don't feel comfortable. And I can't blame them for that. Yeah, you bring up a good point. You know, I, I think there's a lot going on with companies. Um, and you mentioned, you know, obviously companies quickly had to pivot and adapt. And, you know, you're able to help them through all different cycles and processes, except for the onboarding piece. And I'll tell you, it's been a struggle, even with our clients. Our clients are reaching out to us saying, hey, can you help us onboard? Because that's what we do specifically at, yeah. at Real Talent. But it's interesting because, uh, you know, nobody was prepared for something like this. And even now, I literally have talked to employees at companies that have literally interviewed and gotten hired and you know everything has been through an, an, uh, a, a digital world. They still have yet to meet anybody in the company personally. Um, even you know their laptops or their equipment have been shipped to them. So they are waiting for this pandemic to be over to get that face-to-face interaction, which in some cases it's much needed. And it's been a challenge, you know, when you have companies that have call center environments, which it really, really helps to have, you know, side-by-side job shadowing in some of those instances and be on site and learn from others just from, you know, taking a call and listening to a call next to somebody. It's been um, an area for a lot of companies to quickly identify and adapt and pivot to throughout the whole hiring process. Yeah. It's the companies I've gone through a lot with a lot with my clients, just testing out different things, see if they'll work. You know, if they're decided to pick up hiring again, even if it was just for one or two positions, I was fully transparent with the candidates, letting them know, hey, this is kind of a new process. Given the situation in the world right now, you got to be a little bit flexible. So I would always set the expectations. But at the same time, we're, what, nine, 10 months into this already. And personally, I think now when a company is using COVID and they're still relying on that for things that are going wrong, it's just an excuse. We've had nine months to fix this. And you can no longer use it as an excuse. It's invalid. If you're still using COVID as an excuse to something that's wrong internally, more than likely the problem was there pre-COVID. And you just found an excuse on why it's there now uh, to kind of put out to other people. But I've had to say this a lot of times, whether it be to my own personal clients or if I'm on the phone with customer service to my cell phone carrier, like, sorry, that's not an excuse anymore. What are some of the best practices that you've seen companies do to pivot from an onboarding perspective? The best practice I've seen is they're still trying, even though you can't get that personal touch, the one-on-one together, it's a lot of video. It's a lot of face-to-face interaction without real face-to-face interaction where it's (laughs) not safe. But uh, they're trying to incorporate how to get that personal touch into virtually onboarding and virtually hiring and interviewing and things like that, rather than just using phone calls or connecting with people because it's nice to have a face to the name and not just a LinkedIn photo, you know, an actual mannerisms where you can see them and laugh and see them smile and things like that. 
it's trying to combine the two into one and it's it's proven to be pretty difficult and guarantee zoom things like companies like zoom had no idea you know like overnight became just the requirement for all businesses. Had I known, I would have bought stock in Zoom and toilet paper back in January. (laughs) Square. Square was a good one. (laughs) Was a good one. Yeah. My my wife got in early on that one. But uh but just to go back, I it's that personal touch. That's still what keeps employees happy. That is what a lot of employees require. The work from home and working remote thing sounds great. Pre-COVID that's everybody's dream job. But it takes a very particular mindset to work from home and extreme structure. Uh, I've been working from home for almost four years now. So it, it's not new to me, but I still get distracted. If I hear, you know, let's throw a load of laundry in a real quick five minutes. And all of a sudden it's an hour later because now you folded the other load and then you loaded the dishwasher. So you have to remain structured and you really have to just cut out all distractions. And a lot of these new candidates nowadays that are used to working in an office environment or with a manager there to kind of keep them on track or in an environment that doesn't have a washing machine or a dishwasher or anything for them to do, it's difficult for them to transition and learn how to work remotely. And I feel like a lot of candidates didn't realize that and they're struggling with it. Is that something companies are looking for and seeking for help right now on how they um, can get people to focus working from home? So is that part of the interview process and interview question? Like, hey, so how do you do working from home? Um, Are you okay focusing? I mean, like, how does that even come up? (laughs) So obviously there's uh, EEOC laws that can and can't be asked. But I typically, I ask if they've ever worked remote before. I ask how they feel about working remote. I'll give my experience because I've been working remote for such a long time and just kind of have that conversation. It, a lot of stuff comes out during casual conversation than it does from just asking direct questions. And I like to find out what their household is like. If they're going to be working from their kitchen table and you know maybe they have their mom, their dad, their grandparents living in the house, I, I try to get a good feel for if they're not only if they can do it, but if they're in the right environment to work remotely. Because a lot of people now, even though you're set up on a kitchen table or wherever it may be, if you have a house full of people or family or even animals, it can be a distraction not only for you, but also for the the people that you're working with. I feel like that's natural right now to hear a dog barking or a baby crying in the background during a Zoom call. Pretty sure you're going to hear one by the end. (laughs) One of the things we've worked with a client recently who one of their biggest challenges wasn't not hiring. In fact, they continue to hire, hiring hundreds of folks, but their hiring managers struggled with not having face-to-face. They actually even struggled with asking great questions with a Zoom interaction. Uh, Some of them struggled with Zoom in general or uh, whatever the, the video device was. What advice do you give those leaders who just, they can't get past that bridge of, I need to see their body language to know if they're right? So I actually have a couple of clients that are in that exact situation, uh, mainly in sales. Uh, for outside sales reps, an energy and a mannerism of meeting someone in person to understand that is highly valued. It's very hard to hire a sales rep without meeting them in person, even if it is virtually, to understand their energy, to see just how well they present themselves in sales. 
And to be honest with you, I mean, I've tried to talk to my clients, you know, they, they still do for the sales roles, they'll still do a final interview that is face to face, even though most of their positions, the managers are not even in that state. Um, some of them are have an entire major metro market and their manager sits out of state. So they are working independently and autonomously from a home-based office, but the manager and the, the sales director, the VP of sales will still go to do a face-to-face interview, obviously COVID safe at a socially distant way, but there's just no getting around it. There's some positions that you have to do at least one face-to-face and get to know that person. And from seeing this, those employees, those new hires that have met face-to-face have a little bit more dedication, a little bit more motivation of starting work. They're a little bit more excited. I've had candidates that have been hired for virtual roles, 100% remote. They never have interaction with anybody on their team or managers or anything like that other than a phone call or possibly a Zoom. And they, they don't have that same spunk, that same energy, that same excitement about starting a new role because that excitement was never given back to them. You know, that face-to-face interaction, I feel it's just, it's very important. It is, you know, it's, uh, it's funny, uh, as Maria had mentioned, a lot of what we do at Real Talent is development related. And one of the topics in every single session, when we talk about listening is how important body language is and the story it tells you behind the words, right? And how you can dig a little bit deeper. So it absolutely makes sense that people are struggling because we rely so heavily on that body language. Now, there's also some positions that I feel are perfectly okay to hire virtually without any type of face-to-face contact, so to speak. And because these people pretty much work independently, they're not in a client or customer-facing role. Um, A lot of these roles are in tech. They're more behind the scenes. Yes, tech, a lot of them are in teams. But a lot of times they're using, you know, Hangouts or Zoom or whatever it is for team meetings. Developers, people like that, they tend to like to work in an ind- more of an independent individual setting and then just plug their portion into the project. Uh, so it really depends on the industry and the job, I feel. Uh, but for the most part, I'm a big fan and a big proponent of the face-to-face interview. And I think you're right. I think there is a way to do it correctly even in this world where you're trying to minimize human contact uh, with folks that you don't know, there are definitely things that you can do to have that face-to-face interview in a safe environment. I agree. And one of my clients, what they have done is they used to, there's obviously multiple steps in an interview process. And their first one was was a phone call, but their second, third, and fourth were all face-to-face come into the office. And now what they've done is they've made the first, second, and third all virtual remote. And the fourth is a face-to-face, but it's a panel. So it's no longer multiple in the office at the office. It's one time and you're in a panel and everybody gets to meet you. I'm not personally a fan of panel interviews. I think they're very intimidating for the candidate, but safety comes above that. So I think that that's a good way to do it is cut down on the amount of interactions you're going to have. Still have them at face-to-face, but maybe use a panel rather than multiple in-person interviews. Yeah, for sure. And even just you know, making sure whether it's the, the folks doing the interview or the candidate, just making sure everybody kind of understands your policies or what they expect disclosure on. For example, if you're waiting for tests or if you are sick, just being very upfront with all of those pieces allows you to do that safely. Yep. And companies need to start giving out or planning or getting something in writing 
about their COVID safety measures. A lot of new candidates, that's one of the first questions. It's, it's no longer what's the pay or what's the PTO. It's what, what safety implementations or implementations have they made, um, especially for the interview process. So I believe companies might even want to start putting that on their job descriptions to set that expectation because the candidates will see that and say, okay, well, I know they're taking measures to be safe. Everybody's got a different opinion in this time and day. Some people don't care. Other people just want to stay wrapped up in their house and bubble wrap and everything in between. So you never know who's going to be applying. You never know who's looking at your job description. And I think personally that you should be putting those safety regulations now on the job descriptions just to set that standard. Yeah, I've actually seen that. It's funny. Some people do want to be wrapped in bubble wrap in their homes. Um, That's going on a t-shirt later. (laughs) Um, But I have seen... Tinfoil hat and bubble wrap. (laughs) (laughs) We... um... I have seen some companies and it's interesting where they put it in their job description. So when I'm looking at job descriptions and I'm, I'm, you know, surfing the net, I literally see some companies posted at the top of their job descriptions. And some of it is in the bottom where they have all the regulations, you know, of how safe they are as an organization and whatnot, kind of like the disclaimer notes. And so it's interesting. Do you have any feedback on where to put that or how to kind of help companies navigate through that? I personally would like to see it at the top for a couple of reasons. One, it is very important nowadays. And number two, it show if you see that first, it shows the company is kind of on the forefront of, I don't want to say technology, but just up to date with things. They're, they're advancing the way that the nation is at the world. There's a lot of companies, a lot of industries lag behind. Finance is one of them. You know, they're 10 years behind. <laughs> so to see that on a job description from a candidate perspective, I feel like they're like, oh, this company, it's doing things. It's making moves. It's really trying to attract. So they have to be on the up and up and on top of things. Meanwhile, if it's just thrown in at the bottom, it looks a little bit lazy. Like, hey, let's just throw it in there to make someone happy. I think it should personally, I think it should be at the top so people can see it immediately. And then they also feel more comfortable reading into the job description because they know they can feel safe applying for the job. Yeah, I think you nailed it there. You know, when I when I think about what, and I, I do normally hate this term, but I'm going to use it, an essential business where you do have everyone still coming into a facility, being able to talk through the tactics that you have in place to keep your employees safe, it tells a story about who you are as a company. Um, you know, it's already hard for people going through this uh, to be in a category where it's like, no, you can't work from home. You're in retail, whatever that happens to be, you're going to have to come to the store. Uh, There was already that fear, that apprehension around their increased exposure level, right? And to be able to say, here's what I'm doing to protect you in that situation, it absolutely speaks to who the company is. 100%. And to have an SOP for COVID interviews or things like that, it just, it really shows the company structured. It shows that they have their employees at the top of their mind, that they want to keep them safe because, and they're taking the measures for that. Um, other ones, you, you just don't know. You don't know how the company's reacting to what's going on in the world. You don't know if they're lagging behind, if they're just, they're still scrambling internally and don't care about the employees or whatever it may be. So I think anything to show that a company is dedicated to keeping their employees safe and implemented a new SOP for the interview process or for safety is just really speaks volumes on a job description. 
you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate because that's what I do on this show. But um, so what do you tell me as a business owner that has made a statement like Google or Twitter or whoever that their employees can stay home until at least June or indefinitely if they want? Why do I have to put that in my job description if I've already made an announcement that someone can research or Google themselves? Oh, you mean put the uh, the new SOP at the top? So for your example, Google, Apple, those are, are tech, big tech companies. Already prior to this, a lot of their candidates or a lot of their employees were already ro- working remote. We just didn't know it because they didn't put it out there as much. It wasn't as profound as it, as it is now. I don't see any company, especially any established, already established company working 100% remotely from the CEO right down to everybody else. So I personally don't see that as an, a way to run business. I, I know none of my clients have. There's always got to be some people in-house. You have to have a, a building and a front door. But for the most part, companies that do have mostly remote employees, they will still have internal employees. And if you put that standard operating procedure against COVID or the new safety measures on top of a job description, even if it's not applicable to that candidate or to the position they're applying to, because they're going to be 100% remote, it still gives them that feeling that the company is staying current. They do care about their employees because even though it's not them, there are still some employees that go into the office on a daily basis. So it's more directed towards those type of employees, but ultimately they care about the employee. How do you treat your people? Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the careers page. Have you seen many companies update their career site that um, targets towards COVID-related pandemic pieces like SOPs that you're talking about from a JD perspective, or even talking through how they're handling the interview process in a remote way and really navigating through some of those um, in any way? Have you, I, I've, I've been searching and I haven't seen very many career sites that have been updated from small, medium businesses, even large businesses. No, I... I haven't been searching, but I haven't come across it either. I work a little bit different for my clients, so I'm not out there looking at all their job descriptions. Um, I do what I call back cleanup. My clients come to me when every other staffing agency has failed or they have what I call a thorn in their side role, a position that's stale and has been open for two or three months, one that their internal TA leader is really getting on them. Hey, you got to fill this, got to fill this uh, niche skill set or jobs that just people aren't on the open market and applying into. I only reach out to candidates. I don't entertain any candidates inbound. And I also don't post jobs anywhere. So I would call myself in lack of better terms, a poacher for my clients. But you know, my clients may have 90 open positions. I only have one or two assigned to me. Because I don't like to compete with the other staffing agencies. I don't want their brand new recs and the low-hanging fruit. I want that that thorn in the side role that requires the finesse of an experienced recruiter. Yeah, that's great. That's important for companies to think through. Um, you know, there's obviously, gosh, it's interesting because there's so many of our clients we've talked to, depending on where they're at, you know, they they get hundreds and hundreds of applicants. And it's interesting because I'm not sure if you've read the the Nine Lies About Work book, but fantastic read. And in the first chapter, it talks about, you know, from a candidate experience, um, if you have a thousand applicants, you want to, as a hiring leader or in a, you know, a business, you'll want to at least identify a third of those candidates and take a look before you even consider making an offer to any candidates. And it becomes 
it becomes interesting because there are so many applicants now with millions of people out of work for whatever reason. And sifting through that becomes more and more challenging because you're not getting essentially the cream of the crop, um, but in some cases they're there. And the, those thorns uh, of a, an applicant uh, or a, a position, um, it may be uh, essential for someone to reach out to Yuman because they're literally getting individuals from all over the place. I'll tell you, um, one client I worked with, they had a, a role open, they had, gosh, like 600 applicants. Most of them weren't even qualified for the, the, the role or the position, or they essentially wanted someone in that local office eventually when things do go back to normal from the pandemic. And they were getting a lot of remote people from different states. And when the recruiters were reaching out, the applicants weren't interested in relocating, but the position never said it was a remote position or, you know, it's, it's based in that location. So it becomes more and more challenging for businesses to identify the right people, because now in the recruiting process, you have to ask more questions. For example, you know, that person who's in Colorado applying to a job in, you know, Washington, you now have to ask the question, are you relocating? And they say no. And then it's almost like, okay, end of interview. And some candidates. That, I mean, that's been the name of the game for a recruiter forever. I mean, we, we pre-qualify. That's what we do. Some do it better than others. I get resumes all day long that, I mean, I don't get inbound, but I used to when I was working for a company of people that were completely unqualified, you know, a, a marketing director role and the person's a professional painter. It's the name of the game that we're there as that buffer so that our client or if you're internal TA, the hiring manager does not have to waste their time and money to go through hundreds of resumes just to find the qualified ones. Um, that's, that's our job. Yeah, it helps to have someone like you for an organization to help be able to fill that gap a lot quicker, um, potentially in some cases, so that they don't have to go through a thousand resumes that are all you know, service desk analysts for a developer position. And that's the problem nowadays. I mean, recruiters are a dime a dozen. They really are. Most of them are entry level. A lot of the big companies, they have one account executive that manages the account and then they get a job and they toss it out to a room of 30 or 40 brand new recruiters that have no idea about the culture or the company or anything like that. So there's a big disconnect there. And they're also not getting the right pre-qualified candidates. I personally love to brag. I have a four to one interview to hire ratio. So when my clients utilize my services, even though I may not be the cheapest, they're not wasting their time. That's where their ROI is. If I'm sending them over candidates, those candidates are at least making it to third round, if not final round. One of the other things that we've noticed is, um, and this is pretty typical when you're in HR, we're often some of the first people cut. I think because of the nature of the pandemic, I think the employee relations folks have stayed in place, but we've also seen a number of our clients let go of their TA teams and just hope they could handle it internally. What advice do you give to an organization if they're gonna go hands up, can't have that headcount, but they still need, I mean, they still need the skill that is talent acquisition. So what advice do you give those folks? To call me. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I completely understand. A lot of companies now, they're saying, <laughs> okay, we had to stop hiring immediately. We don't need the headcount of a recruiter. I have a couple of friends that were let go from recruiter positions in the beginning of this. 
And they're trying so hard to get back into TA roles. And now we're starting to see a couple companies hire them back. But my advice to any company that got rid of their internal team, or if they had an HR generalist that was also handing recruiting or whatever the case may be, is to either see if it makes sense how many hires you make a year if you're going to pay fees for the recruiter uh, to an outside agency. If those fees are going to top what you're going to pay an internal (laughs) employee, just hire the internal employee. There's also organizations that provide more of a um, on-site consultant. So it's, you know, it's, you're, it's not their headcount, but that person's still on-site. Uh, so there's many workarounds if you don't want that headcount. But I personally think if, if it's a smaller, medium company and they're only hiring, you know, they're not hiring hundreds of candidates a year, it makes sense to just outsource it to an outside agency, but a reputable one, one that's not still going to send you 100 resumes and have you pre-qualifying, one that you know that when they send you a resume, it's automatically pre-qualified and they're giving you the or they're giving the uh, agency the professional courtesy of doing that first interview on every resume they send over because they know it's going to be good. And that's the relationship I have with my clients. And that's what I think every agency should have with their clients. Yeah, I think that's important. And when you take a look, you know, I'm the I'm the compliance queen on this on this podcast here, but I literally dread when people talk about getting rid of talent acquisition because I'm like, oh gosh, now the hiring managers are gonna be like, oh, you're pregnant. When are you having the baby? <laughs> yeah, I, it can go either way. I mean, I don't really see a difference between internal and external, except when it comes down to negotiations. Obviously, external you're looking for as much money internal you're looking to squeeze you know save the company money but other than that through the process if a outside agency has the relationship with their client that they should they should be able to almost act as an extension of that client so when they are recruiting even though they are an outside agency that candidate either doesn't know or doesn't care because you can answer all the questions and I, I can go ahead and provide all the information. I don't say, oh, I have to call, like, get the hiring manager on the phone and find out. Let me get back to you. It's almost like I'm an extension and I get to know my clients very well. So I can provide all that insight on the phone and not have to tell a candidate, I don't know. I think that's a great call out, getting to know the firm or the, the person that you're working with. I've actually, when I still worked in corporate America, I can remember going through interviews where the uh, recruiter, would answer things with, oh, you can ask the hiring manager that. Even with things they felt like they should have known in the process, which is, you know, what are what are the overall expectations of the role or what's the culture of the company? That was a big win for me. And most of the questions that I asked, the response was, I would recommend that you bring those to the hiring manager or ask that during the next interview in the process. Yeah, I, that's just passing the buck. Uh, that's that's a better way of saying I don't know. Typically, the way I'll present that is because some of these questions can be the deciding factor for these candidates. So I will typically tell them if I don't know the answer, which I would like to say is rare, but it happens. I will ask them if this is something important to them that's going to prevent them from going on to the next step. Because if that's the case, I can absolutely reach out and get an answer for you within 24 hours. You know. The thing with me and my clients, I have direct uh, contact with all of them. I don't submit into an ATS or that doesn't go into a resume, doesn't go into anywhere. I have 
either internal TA or hiring manager direct contact. And typically within 24 hours, I'll get a response back. So I'll ask the question if it is preventing them from moving forward or if it's, it's a big red flag, whatever the answer is, and offer to go find out for them immediately. And if they say no, whatever, then I say, oh, you know, that's a great question to ask in an interview rather than just kind of passing it off. I want to make sure they, they know that I'm working for them. You know, I think that's a good call out. We actually even use a similar example when we talk about leaders is that it really is okay that you don't necessarily have all of those answers. It's the way you present that to the person because the reality is people are brilliant. I mean, people are truly, uh, most people are brilliant. They're, they're instinctual. They get things. And so when you come with, like you said, that pass the buck answer, people know that that's what you're doing. And then it automatically sends up some red flags that shouldn't be there in the first place if you just approached it from an honest perspective. And if they're asking the question of me and I should know it, or it's my client, or I'm the one providing the details, because as a recruiter, we're still in sales. You know, we, we still have to sell the position to these candidates. So if, like I said, you let them know that I'm trying to help them out, that I'm working for them, to offer to get the answer for them rather than telling them to do it themselves. So AJ, earlier, Maria said that she's the, what did you call yourself, Maria? The devil's advocate? Yes, I play devil's advocate all the time on this podcast. <laughs> I do a lot too with your life. <laughs> yeah. I am typically the one that likes to play amateur psychology and I'm the one that cusses a lot. You said something earlier, and I want to go back to it with my amateur psychology. You said that you've, you've seen uh, folks that were able to be a part of a face-to-face interview. There's sort of a different passion around jumping into the role. And when you said that, I actually saw Maria's eyes pop up too. But immediately I thought, wow, that does make sense. I, I guess it sort of feels a little surreal if the only contact you've ever had is face-to-face. It's less inviting. There you go. Yeah. So um, I thought I'd throw that out and revisit. Just I, Maria, I saw your face and that came up as well. If you're going to hire for a position that you can't do that face-to-face, how do you get that passion and that buy-in? Maria, this is for you too, because I know you have some thoughts. Uh, I see Maria's liars light up. You can go first, Maria. <laughs> Listen, it's it's tough to get buy-in from team members. I want to play devil's advocate there. It's just a struggle, right? But the, I, I think, you know, challenging it a little bit, I think if you're looking for a new position and a new career and you found something and you're you're internally excited about it, I think just starting a new venture and a new journey is going to be exciting for you. However, during the pandemic, as much as ex- as you have excitement as a new candidate within an organization, you also also have anxiety. I have seen people that have been hired on in organizations throughout this pandemic at the start that have now not been with the organization, and that's a risk. So, and just as much as uh, you know, as a business, you're seeking out individuals as a candidate you have to ask the right questions about a company's portfolio and of customers and what they anticipate and if there are multiple waves that you know things are going to go through because let's face it if you're a candidate through this whole process yeah you are going to be discouraged if you don't have a face-to-face interview and you get some of that interaction or whatever the case may be i can totally see aj's point where depending on your interview experience is going to be dependent on how excited or motivated you are within an organization when you start 
And I think that if we're doing everything virtually and onboarding virtually nowadays, even though most people don't like it, well, I can say don't like it, but there's a sense of pride and nervousness that first day of work in a new office. You walk in, it's all new surroundings. You're trying to figure out who's who, you know, what's, what's the structure, things like that. And it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's, it's all those emotions, but that's part of putting yourself into a new job. I mean, that's what, I don't want to say what people look for, but that's just the, what was the norm. Uh, nowadays with everything being virtual, you don't get that excitement, that nervousness, everything that very first day of work. So I think a good way that companies could make their new employees feel more welcomed or give them that is with a welcome package. And I don't mean a welcome package that has the HR paperwork and your laptop. I mean an actual welcome to the team, whether it be maybe a photo of the team and everybody signed welcome, hello, or a card or some kind of little... I don't I don't like using onboarding gifts because I feel like they don't deserve a gift. The gift was the job. But something to let them know that even though you're not here in the office, we still want you to feel like you're part of this company. You're not just an outcast sitting at home that gets forgotten about every now and then. So I think maybe some kind of onboarding or entry type of, I hate to use the word gift, but something like that to make them feel more welcomed would be a good idea. A little bit more personalized. Yeah. So everybody listening on this call, get onto Zoom, take a group picture, put on your best waist up outfit, whatever it is that you're going on at home and take a picture and send it. I think that is a great a great idea because my devil's advocate to you was going to be as small businesses downsizing how are people supposed to afford all the shipping fees and the gifts and all that stuff, right? But I think it's easy. Yeah. If it's a small business, typically there's not going to be a lot, a big headcount. And if it's a larger business, that team that you're being put onto isn't going to typically be a large headcount. So it, you know, if, even if it is the four or five top tier people or whoever it may be, a picture and maybe a handwritten introduction. Hi, I'm Joe Smith. I'm the so-and-so. Look forward to having you. Something like that that adds a personal touch is what the virtual onboarding takes away. So I, that's I, w- I would like that, you know, a card or, or handwritten introduction so I can put a face to the name and everybody writes something, welcome aboard. Just, it's more of a, a welcoming style. Genius. Write that down. <laughs> I love it. So what final words of advice do you have for our listeners here today, AJ? Stop using COVID as an excuse. It is no longer an excuse for your internal mess. And... Pretty much. I mean, it's you got to start thinking outside of the box on how to make candidates feel comfortable, not only through the interview process, but also through the onboarding process. We need to make it as close to what people used to feel, those internal feelings about going through the process and interviewing and, and ultimately getting the offer in your first day of work as they used to, but it still needs to be COVID safe now. So it is a balance, but at the same time, Companies are constantly pivoting. You can't have a company that doesn't pivot. You're never going to last, whether it be pivot for COVID or pivot for any other reason that happens. This is just another pivot that they need to do. Perhaps they need to hire someone internally to restructure their training or their onboarding or you know, get a consultant, spend that money for a consultant because your interview process and the interview experience is what's going to set the standard for your company nowadays because this is new to everybody. So it's it's the new look of the company is how they interview. So you want to be on point and you want it to be as smooth as possible. 
Great. And how can people get a hold of you if they do need some of your resources? Futureforcetalent.com. My LinkedIn is AJ Vollmuller, V-O-L-L-M-O-E-L-L-E-R. Sorry, I had to spell that. It took me to like fourth grade to learn how. And <laughs> um, also now, because I did have to pivot when all my cat or my clients stopped hiring, I realized that the focus is more on the candidates now than the clients. So I started a resume writing service that is geared towards people that are not in those high-level professional positions that can afford hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a resume. It's geared more towards people that may be in uh, minimum wage positions or were never taught the professionality of how to write a resume, but they're an extremely great employee. They just can't portray that well. Um, It's geared towards people that haven't been on the open market in 20 years. And the last time they looked for a job, they were scrolling through the newspaper, or I should say flipping through the newspaper to the help wanted section. So I've, <laughs> I've also created that and it's a feel good thing. You know, I love helping people out. I've had a lot of clients reach back out to me because being a recruiter as well, I'm on the forefront of resume trends. I know what works. I know what I look for. You know, you just keep seeing people with these extremely expensive resumes and you're not even helping them get considered any better than the one that they were originally using. So I do it all, staffing and resume writing. Also for the resumes, I'm doing free resume reviews. Some people don't know if their resume is going to hold up. So to do that is www.freeresumerev.com. And um, you've brought in a great transition for us for our upcoming podcast in this series. So this month we are talking about HR best practices. And obviously we kicked it off with AJ talking about businesses and the impact during the global pandemic, as well as how to quickly pivot in any case, in any scenario. But uh, moving forward, we are going to talk about those millions of individuals that are currently uh, seeking positions. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know, three years from now, and it just sounds crazy, we're talking about a pandemic. (laughs) We are going to also help you resume write, even if you're not one of the millions, but you're one of the few still seeking positions. Um, in an organization. So hopefully we can have AJ back at some point, but if not, uh, feel free to reach out to him for any services that you need from a resume perspective or from a business perspective. Until next time, listeners, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.